certainly is my privilege to welcome Brian Murphy to our pulpit this morning. Brian has been involved in gospel ministry since he, since he started out as a youth pastor in 1984. Through the years, Brian has had the privilege of being an associate pastor, a lead teaching pastor, and a church planting pastor, most recently planting Living Grace Community Church in Bakersfield, California. Brian is also on the board of XL Ministries and has been a part of the organization since its inception in 1992. He and I serve with five other men to oversee the training ministry of XL. The goal of XL Ministries is to provide excellence in leadership through quality Christian training, and this is accomplished by partnering with local churches to help train elders and missionaries and pastors in the unique context of that local church. XL offers its materials, training, and oversight without cost to any church who desires to enter the process of raising up men for ministry. Now, Brian has been married to his wife, Diane, since 1991. He has four children and six grandchildren, of which I am a bit jealous. I have one who is the greatest ever, but he's got six. Brian is visiting this weekend to help oversee uh, the mock candidating process for two of our current interns, Joel Ross Richmond and Jeremy Hammer. To that end, Brian, myself, and a group of men from the church spent two hours with each of them yesterday asking them all the kinds of questions that a pastoral search committee would ask a prospective candidate for a pastoral teaching position. Now, those questions range, ranged anywhere from what is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual to can you be a Christian and vote Democrat? All right. <laughs> Interns handled themselves exceedingly well in some of these difficult questions, uh, and we were able to just walk through ways to grow and deepen as they have more uh, in a year and then two years left in the internship. Now, on a much more personal note, I've known Brian since he was 14. Since I was 14, he was 15. He's a year older than me, uh, much older, elder statesman. Uh, we were growing up in uh, Rocky Wyatt's youth group. He's a man with whom we do Excel Ministries and he's been a mentor for many years. Now, when I met Brian, he was an unbeliever. But by the Lord's gracious work in his life, I was there to watch God transform him as he became a believer and began to seek the Lord and walk with the Lord and ultimately determined to go into ministry. We also had the opportunity to do several things to our youth pastor's fence, and he can tell you about that later. Now, Brian has remained a dear friend in ministry for these past 32 years. He loves the Lord with all of his heart. He loves his family. He loves people. A unique aspect of Brian is that his love for the Lord translates just uniquely into a love for people, and that's why he loves to train men, because training men for ministry is one of the primary ways to love the people of the church, that there would be an ongoing, perpetual work of men being raised up so that the church is strong. And so I commend Brian to you as a man who has not only taught interns and taught men for ministry, but has lived out the difficulty, lived out the joy of Christian ministry, and has been faithful he has fought the fought fight of the Christian life, and he's one of the men I would always want with me in those trenches. So please welcome Brian as he comes to minister the word. Well, it's great to be here. Um, I have said this many times, I want to be like Chris when I grow up. Um, he truly is, if you can have heroes um, that are even younger than you, um, Chris is my hero. Um, I've admired him for all these years, and uh, I love him and appreciate him. Um, it's always sacred to preach in a pulpit, but it is especially sacred to preach in this pulpit, where the Word of God is so faithfully proclaimed week in and week out. So I commend you to that. I do have to say, though, when I I, you know, I, I, well, I bring you greetings from the lands of the fruits and the nuts from California. Um, and um, I flew in and uh, I saw the gas price, 329. Are you people out of your mind? 
um, you're supposed to be paying six and seven dollars a gallon of gas, like we do in California. I don't know, I don't know what you guys are thinking. So um, we did pay eight dollars a gas at one point, and um, God bless Tennessee. So that's why half of California is moving here, uh, much to your chagrin, maybe. But um, we're trying to send our best people here, so um, not our best people. Okay. <laughs> So, anyways, let me pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. With our Bible open on our lap and our mind fixed on you, would you speak through your spirit, through your preacher, to the hearts of your people, that we might hear from your word. And your word is life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. I would invite you to open your Bible, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 will be our, our focal point for this morning, but if you would kind of stick your finger in Matthew 5 as well, we'll, we'll be there shortly. Um, Chris has asked me to come this morning and preach on the topic of an exhortation to the church to train leaders, an exhortation to train leaders, a topic, of course, near and dear to both of our hearts. Let me read to you the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Paul said, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. If you have been around this church for any length of time, you know that this is a training church. That is the heart of Chris for decades. That is the heart of these elders. This is a training church. My task this morning is simply, as Paul often did to churches, can I just remind you of these things? I'm not necessarily going to tell you something you don't know, but can I remind you of why you are to be a training church? And can I exhort you, again, has Paul said many times, can, you, can I exhort you to excel still more in these things? This is so vital to a church and to its existence and to its continuation. First off, why do we train churches in the church? Who, who thought of this idea? Well, Jesus thought of this idea. And the first point here is an exhortation from Jesus. This was Jesus' idea to train people. You remember that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, chose 12 men. Not, not the normal 12 men that you might have expected him to choose. They weren't the somebodies of his day, but he 12, 12, chose 12 normal men. Some of them outcasts in society. And he said, come follow me. They left their fishing nets, they left their text collecting booths, and they left everything to come and follow him. And what did Jesus do with these 12 men? What was their training like? Was it like a Saturday, come on a Saturday for half a day, and, and we'll give you an orientation, and then you'll be good to go? Was it a six Thursday nights in a row, you know, come for an hour, have coffee and donuts, and then you'll be fine, go, go, go for it? Good to see Brian and Jocelyn. They were from my church. It's great to see. Sorry. God bless you. You are best people. So. We want you back. 
No, stay here. That's not in the notes. Is that what Jesus did? No. He asked these men to come live with him and walk with him for three plus years. Do you think about what happened on day one? We know that in Matthew chapter five and Luke six, Jesus calls the 12 to himself. And on day one, Jesus doesn't give them the pamphlet for that Saturday half day seminar, the six Thursday nights. Day one, Jesus begins to train his disciples. We know in Matthew chapter 5, we know this as the Sermon on the Mount, that their crowds were pressing upon Jesus. The crowd was there, but the crowd was not the focal point of Jesus' teaching that day. They were listening, but Jesus was there to train those 12 men day one of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There is no bait and switch with Jesus. There is never a, hey, come follow me, and it's going to be easy. This is going to be hard. You better count the cost. I want your eyes open day one to what it means to be a leader in my church. Think about that in light of the Beatitudes. We read the Beatitudes often. We know them well. Blessed are those or happy are those. Think about these afresh, beloved, in the context of really what Matthew 5 is about. Jesus isn't just preaching these in general. He's preaching these to these 12 disciples on day one of their discipleship process. Day one of their three-year internship, if you will. This is what Jesus wants them to know. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth are, to these 12, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. What do you mean mourn? I thought this was going to be great. You're the Messiah. You're God in the flesh. This is going to be awesome, isn't it? Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See what Jesus is doing. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And watch the last two. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do you mean persecuted? In case you missed that one, what's the last beatitude in verse 11? Blessed are you when people insult you and then persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus goes on to preach the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached to these disciples. In that, Jesus is going to communicate to them things like, Conflict resolution, servant leadership, the kingdom of God, how to pray, how to forgive, how to love your enemy, how to teach, how to deal with those who are in sin and lost with great grace and mercy, how to deal with the self-righteous, not with as much grace and mercy, 
how to suffer, how to love the Father more than anything or more than anyone in the world, how to store up treasure in heaven, where to put your foundation on the rock of Christ, and on and on and on. That's day one. And Jesus would go on to have these men walk with him for the next three years. They watched him, they heard him, they observed him. And of course, not only did Jesus say these things, as importantly or more importantly, he exemplified these things, did he not? Did he mourn? Did he long for righteousness? Did he suffer? Was he persecuted? Was he falsely accused? Yes. Yes and yes. Jesus did all of these things. If there is a couple of key words that maybe would signify Jesus' training of his leaders, it was certainly the word intentionality. Jesus was absolutely intentional in what he did. He chose these men at this place in this time for this period of time, and he had a plan. There was nothing haphazard about Jesus' discipleship process, was there? Well, just, just walk with me and let's see how this goes. There was very intention about what Jesus was doing. I want to teach you these things. I want to teach you about how you love God. I want to teach you about how you love people. I want to teach you about how to love people who love you. And I want to teach you about people who don't love you. My people, I want to teach you how, how you live in the best of times. And I definitely want to teach you how you live in the worst of times. Because they're coming. What an amazing privilege you have, beloved, at Grace Community. To have a pastor like Chris, who I've known for so long, and these elders that you have. You understand this is not normal. This is, quote the great movie, this is Abby Normal. You don't, you don't get this normally. These leaders are intentional in their training of pastors. They are intentional of training of their missionaries. And I talked with Eva earlier this morning. Intentional of training elders. You know how most elders are chosen? Well, you're a rich business guy. You're successful. You're in. Every once in a while, that works out okay, and most of the time, that is an utter disaster. That is not how it's done here. Jesus is absolutely intentional. This church is intentional about what they do. And secondly, if you want to use one more word, it takes time. This wasn't, this wasn't a half-day seminar. Jesus didn't teach the Sermon on the Mount and go, you all got it now, have fun. Let me know how it goes. Jesus walks with them, and they walk with Jesus for some three, three and a half years. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus is encouraging them. Jesus is challenging them. Jesus is saying happy words, and Jesus is saying things like, get behind me, Satan. 
Do they get it every time? Are they successful in everything they do? No. He doesn't expect them to do. Peter, after all that time, denies Jesus three times. But does Jesus kick him to the curb after that and say, you loser? No, he meets Jesus. He meets Peter on the shore a few days later and then communicates to him, do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. He affirms three times that he loves Jesus just as he had denied him three times. Now get back in the game, Peter. Let's go. Tensionality and time were key to Jesus' training. Jesus, an exhortation from him, exemplifies for us what it means to train leaders to be leaders in his church. Secondly, there is an exhortation from the apostles. An exhortation from the apostles. Just think about the apostle Paul to begin with. Before we get to what Paul had to say, think about his own life. From the time that Apostle Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, how long was it before his first missionary journey? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. This is like super Christian. Right, I mean, he knew the whole Old Testament. This guy that wrote some 17 books in the New Testament, including Romans. This is no slouch. This is almost, you know, I mean, Chris is right there. All right? I mean, a couple weeks, come on, Paul, you got this. Paul is mentored by Peter and James, Barnabas. This is a Bible study with Priscilla and Aquila. Certainly he's doing some ministry, but how long before road to Damascus encounter? First missionary journey, best we can tell in our chronology, 10 to 13 years. God and his providence is intentional with Paul about his training, sending the right people into Paul's life. He's got to get the Pharisee out of Paul. He's got to get self-righteousness out of Paul. He's got to get Paul to understand grace, not works. He's got to get Paul to understand justification, not law. He needs intention and he needs time, a long time. Over my 38 years of ministry, I had so many people, young men come to me and say, I want to be a pastor and I want to go now. Put the brakes on, kid. Let's be intentional about this. Let's take some time. No, I want to go now. I most often see it with missionaries. Young people go to some conference and they come back to me, Brian, I, I got to go to the mission field and I got to go now. No, you don't. But there's people dying and there are people that need to be reached and churches need to be planted. Yep. And they did in the day of the Apostle Paul too. I think the day that... Jesus came, the Apostle Paul, in that 10 or 13 years where there are people dying without Christ, there are churches that needed to be planted. Yes, and God in his providence said, you need to be ready. I had to tell these missionaries, wait, wait. Come, be a part of the church. Let us train you. 
Let us invest in you. Let you know your Bible, know your theology. Let us train you to an elder level before you go out and be a missionary. You better know the leadership. Leadership better know you. We want you to know the people in the church. We don't want you to just be a postcard on the fridge. And unfortunately, that's how most missionaries are sent out. You want to be a missionary? Here's a plane ticket. Send us a newsletter. To the shame of the church and to the detriment of that missionary and to the detriment of where they're going. And I have so many missionaries on the field telling me, don't send us the person that's not qualified. We're tired of getting the person that just took a flyer and flew over here. God bless Grace Community Church for not doing that. God bless you for training your pastors. God bless you for training your missionaries. Eva would say amen. God and all the other missionaries. God bless you for training your elders. God bless you for training Sunday school leaders and youth leaders and everybody else that does anything around here. Paul would do the same thing as he was discipled. He would take Timothy and train him and invest in him. He would say of Timothy in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. This is not my boy. This is not my servant. I'm not just this big shot. This is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere. He knows what I know. I trust him. Listen to him. But he not do the same thing with Titus. He probably led Titus to Christ in Antioch, and of Titus he would call Titus my true son in the common faith, my brother, my partner, my fellow worker. That's what we're training to do. Get these people to that level. What a privilege for me to have known Chris all of these years. Who would have thought when we were knucklehead teenagers in San Diego that we would be here? And thank God for a man like Rocky Wyatt who took us under his wing and trained us and invested in us and then modeled for us how to do that to other men. You see, do you not, Grace? You're living out the fruit of Chris training men. Think about Ethan. Think about Greg. Think about Ron. We should have been up here doing announcements, but slacker. <laughs> Joel Ross, Jeremy, others your elders, your missionaries, many of you sitting out there in the pew today who have been trained and invested in. Where did Rocky get that idea? He got it from the Apostle Paul and the apostles. Where did they get it from? They got it from Jesus. There's an exhortation from Jesus. There's an exhortation from the apostles. And certainly, finally, there's an exhortation for the modern church. I've said this before, you, you do understand how unique Grace Community is. 
you would think, wouldn't you, that if we have such a clear exhortation from Jesus, that this is how training is supposed to be done, that if we have such a clear exhortation from the apostles, that, that every church, certainly in East Tennessee, where all of the godliest people live, like every church in East Tennessee would be doing this. They would absolutely be training their next generation of pastors. They would be training up elders. They would be training in and investing in their missionaries. They'd be training and equipping the saints for the work of service. They would be doing that, right? We could hope. Unfortunately, too many are not. You know that most pastors, when they go into ministry, here's how this works. They go to seminary, they graduate from seminary, they're 24, 25 years old. I mean, you're the bastion of wisdom at 25, are you not? And now take a church. They're leading elder meetings, but they've never been in an elder meeting, but now they're leading elder meetings. They've never preached more than two weeks in a, in a row, and now they're preaching 45 weeks in a row. They're giving marriage counseling, and they've only been married like a year or two. But that's all you need. I mean, you've been married two years, you got it right? They might have a kid or two, and they, you know, they're like a year, and once you have a kid that's a year old, you know all about parenting. They're overseeing a budget, probably of hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, and they, they, all they know is their budget, which ain't much. And they're overseeing a counseling and a staff, and How does that work? It doesn't often work out so well. At least the first church. First church far too often blows up. It's a shame for them and a shame for the church that they would go to and they don't know what they don't know. How in the world did someone not, not invest in them and 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 take them and train them and say, brother, that, that's not the best way to do that. i give you one simple illustration of like a medical doctor. A medical doctor goes to medical school. It's hard. You go to medical school, they learn all about biology and chemistry and the human body, and they learn all, of, all this stuff. But when they get out of medical school, do they go right into surgery? Do they go right into practicing medicine? I hope not. When they get out of medical school, what do they do? They go do a residency. We might call it an internship. They get out of medical school and they go do a residency. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're taking what they learned in medical school and now applying it under a seasoned doctor that's now overseeing them and walking in with them then they go visit a patient and they're 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 listening to what they're saying to the patient and they're 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 now what 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 do you prescribe and not that drug maybe try that one. Oh yeah that'd be good because that one would have killed them so try this one they're helping them. They're overseeing them. They're going to trip up. They're going to make mistakes, but they're going to learn. 
It's not a two-week residency. It's a two- or three-year residency, all the while overseen by a seasoned doctor. And then after medical school, after the residency, if you can prove that you can do this, I sign you off. Go be a doctor. I mean, do you want, do you want to have heart surgery over the guy that's his first time? This is my first time. I hope this works out okay. Excuse, can I have the other guy? You see where the illustration's going? Why do we do that in the church? There's no residency. Graduate from medical school, jump right in. Beloved, we're not dealing just with people's real hearts. We're dealing with the souls of people. I would argue that's more complicated. I would argue that's more important. Beloved, from the exhortation from Jesus to the exhortation from the apostles to the exhortation to us in the modern church, we need to train people for leadership. That takes very intentional plan, and that takes time. And that is, as Chris said earlier, one of the most absolute loving things we can do for those people. We love them by investing in them. We love the church by investing in them. We love the gospel by investing in them. Making sure that they both know the medical school part, the head knowledge, make sure they know that. And then make sure that they've had time to practice it so their eyes are as wide open as possible to what this really means. And they've had seasoned veterans in ministry speaking into their soul and into their marriage and into their parenting and into their very life. Don't take a shortcut. Don't take the easy way out. Paul said to Timothy, things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men we'll be able to teach others also. Beloved, you and I are here today because that has happened. Somewhere along the way, Jesus entrusted faithful men and the apostles entrusted faithful men. And some of those apostles entrusted faithful men and trusted faithful men and trusted faithful men. And 2,000 years later, Somebody entrusted Rocky Wyatt, and Rocky Wyatt entrusted Chris Reiser and Brian Murphy, and now Chris Reiser and Brian Murphy are entrusting faithful men. And don't let it stop with here. May the Greg Pickles and the Ethans and the Ron O'Dells and the Joel Rosses and the Jeremy Hammers and all of you elders Continue to entrust faithful men to entrust faithful men. That takes intention and time and love. Amen? May you be reminded of things, these things, and Grace Community, may you excel still more in these things as well. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your word. Thank you for this church, for how they have been faithful to train 
We stand on the shoulders of giants of Jesus and the apostles. Lord, thank you for Chris. Thank you for these elders who are serious men about your word and about the doctrines of the faith. Thank you for this church. Do you continue to bless it? Continue to use this church as they reach people with the gospel here in East Tennessee and to the nations, that your name might be glorified above all names, now and for all eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.